0: are entering the freedom hut
1: we finally found out what federal prosecutors recommend for former fbi acting director andrew deep state mccabe we'll give you that breaking news and also will the democrats impeach or not can they just make up their minds we've got that plus a little preview of what we're going to expect tonight the democrat debates coming up on the buck sexton
0: show Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence.
2: One, all, sir. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show.
3: Activate.
2: Former CIA
3: analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Like
2: I think I could speak for three hours
1: without a phone call. Try doing that sometime.
4: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
1: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We're going to have some fun tonight. It's going to be fantastic. Um, We have some news for you that is breaking. We have some news for you that is specific to the show for later on. I don't don't want you to get too excited. We may have an email address now for you. All of you across the country, you can send us your thoughts via email, not just Facebook. Uh, We're going to we're going to hold that. though. You got to listen to the whole show to get there. And uh, we have, of course, the Democrat debate tonight. Ten of them. It won't be as brutal as the climate change thing, which I, I've told you, I did not watch. I'm never going to spend seven hours of my life watching that thing. It's it's just it's just not going to happen. It's just, you know, that's. Uh-uh. Am I going to watch three hours of the Democrat debate tonight? We will decide some of it. Some of it we will. Uh, we will definitely go forth with. Um. I think it's likely. I think it's likely I'll see some of it. So here's what I I expect tonight. Uh, It's all going to be about whether Biden can keep the lead. Can Biden stay in in first place? Uh, I think after tonight. No, you know what? Yeah. Let me hold off on some of this later in the hour because I want to give you all my predictions up front because then why you can listen to the show? I do think that uh, Biden is. His days as the front runner are numbered. But the bigger news for me, I may, I may have been wrong about some about a prediction. I'm not wrong about. It. If I'm wrong about a fact, I'll always tell you that's not a may. That's a. I had thought that that uh, Andy McCabe uh, has was likely to get away with lying under oath, just because he's a swamp creature. Remember, Andy McCabe was the one who was running the FBI after Comey, helped make sure the special counsel got appointed, was uh, very, very much an anti-Trump deep-stater, and the insurance discussion was held in Andrews Andy's office uh, by Struck and Page. So, you know, you look at all this stuff, and yeah, McCabe's bad dude. He's a partisan. He abused his power, and he lied under oath, and he also was willing to, Go after subordinates for leaks that he himself did to the media. What a what a loon! Right, that's a very strange thing, very strange thing to do. Um, but McCabe, uh, the uh, former acting and uh, deputy and acting director of the FBI, looks like he might face charges. Here's what we got: that it's from Fox News. U.S. Attorney Jesse Liu. Has recommended moving forward with charges against CNN contributor. <laughs> of course, I forgot CNN contributor Andrew McCabe. CNN put on the payroll right before the charges were coming out. You know, it's you can always count on the left if you're anti-Trump. You can always count on them to take care of you to come to come for you. Um, you know, take care of you and make sure that you've got some nice gig waiting for you. Whatever. So. Uh, Andrew McCabe, uh, according to Fox News, the Justice Department's rejected a last-ditch appeal from the former top FBI official. McCabe appealed the decision of the U.S. attorney for Washington all the way up to Jeffrey Rosen, the deputy attorney general, but he rejected that request. The potential charges relate to a DOJ inspector general finding against him regarding misleading statements concerning a Hillary Clinton-related investigation. A source close to McCabe's legal team said they received an email from the DOJ which said... The department rejected your appeal of the United States Attorney's Office decision in this matter. Any further inquiry should be directed to the United States Attorney's Office. So here's what happened, folks. Swamp creature McCabe tried to use his swampy connections and go to his old buddies at the FBI where he worked for 20 years or 20 some odd years and say, "Okay, look, come on. We're not really going to prosecute me, right? And now I think it's because of all the pressure on it. People like me saying if they don't prosecute McCabe, then there's then there is no rule of law anymore. Then it really is just politics. But the DOJ has said, "Sorry, man, you, you you don't get to lie under oath after spending a career locking up other human beings, locking them up in cages." That's what the Democrats would say: Adults in cages, adults in cages. Uh locking them up for lying under oath when they're you know, under tremendous stress, a lot of a lot of duress. yeah that's that's the situation. that's the circumstance that he spent his life putting people away for doing this and then when it comes time for for him to show us how the top FBI guy acts in those situations, he thought that it was going to be acceptable. To live by a different set of rules really he he really thought that the answer is yes he did now it looks like he'll be charged now am i really wrong on this we'll see what they give him what does the u.s attorney's office offer up here does he get you know probation for two years no jail time and uh i mean i think he'll have to take a felony on his record but And that's and and I would note this, my friends, get ready for a Democrat president to come along and pardon anybody like McCabe who has taken you're going to see this this effect now where Democrats think that anyone who broke the law to try to take Trump down when they're in power, there'll be a huge uh, groundswell of support for pardoning that person. And for, as I've always said, the left takes care of their own. On the right, we are very bad at this but i think they're probably going to give him a sweetheart deal but if they if the charges go forth here if the charges now there's been a recommendation of charges according to this story he has not yet been officially charged so i'm not my prediction was not wrong yet let's let's be clear but it's looking like i could have been wrong and the buckster does not like being wrong that much is that much is well known so i'm going to keep a close eye on this one uh they If they send McCabe, if McCabe spends any time in a a cell, um, I'll have to I'll have to say that I'm a bit surprised. Uh, It's not going to be long, by the way. It might be a month or something or two weeks. It's going to they're going to give him the Papadopoulos treatment. Now, Papadopoulos lied about nothing. You know, this guy lied. He's a senior most law enforcement figure in the country, really. And he's lying during an inspector general investigation to cover up political activities that he's or politicized activities that he's involved in. I I think that's a much, much bigger problem. Um, But the Democrats have another problem they're going to have to handle. We'll talk about in a moment here. One is that Trump got a big victory today at the it's not a permanent victory. But for the time being, it's a victory uh, courtesy of the Supreme Court, which says, you know, you are allowed. The executive branch does get to make some determinations about immigration policy. And Trump, uh, Trump is right that he probably should be able to say you don't get to, uh, you don't get, to uh, get asylum in this country if you skip past asylum in other countries. Look at the laws we already have. Look at the discretion that's on the books. Trump is allowed to use that. And then there's impeachment and where, whether impeachment is going to happen or not. After today, Jerry Nadler was making a fool of himself. He had his pants pulled up to his chin as per usual. You know, that's, that's no surprise. Uh, talking about all kinds of, of nonsense. Representative Tom McClintock, uh,
0: he gets it. If the majority wants to exercise the House's power of impeachment, all you've got to do is ask the House to do so. All you have to do is ask the House that it direct and authorize this committee to conduct an impeachment inquiry. That's all you have to do. Resolve that the House authorizes the Judiciary Committee to conduct an inquiry into the impeachment of the president. It's that simple. I dare you to do it. In fact, I double-dog dare you to do it. I
1: I agree with him. I double-dog dare the Democrats to do it, too. Bring it, Democrats. Let's see what you got. Let's see you have the courage of your impeachment, never-Trump, Trump derangement convictions. We got much more coming up, team. Stay with me.
0: Well, this country continues to be the most generous when it comes to people seeking asylum, for many different reasons. Uh, Certainly for people who want to immigrate here legally, over 33 million and counting have and and should continue to do so according to this president.
1: Oh, wait a second. I I feel like we keep hearing that this president is so lawless. Oh my gosh, she's
2: destroying our institutions.
1: Liberals rediscover this thing called the Constitution. They've never read it. They don't know what's in it but they know that it sounds really serious, it sounds really intense, and they've rediscovered this thing every time they have it in their minds that they're going to uh, attack the president. They become constitutional scholars again. The president is undermining the Constitution. When Obama was in office, it was, yeah, the Constitution's old. We didn't have to worry about it. It's not that important. It's kind of vague anyway. Who knows what's in it? Now they're all, oh my gosh, the Constitution is
2: the thing that keeps us safe and warm at night.
1: Actually, that's the Buck Sexton show, as you know. It's not the Constitution. But
2: uh, turns out,
1: once again, a victory for Trump in the courts. Once again, after they told us, after some judge, some lib, left-wing judge decided that Trump didn't get the full powers of his office, wasn't able to do what he wanted to do. um, Turns out he was right. New York Times today, the Supreme Court on Wednesday allowed, wait, sorry, yeah, that was yesterday, allow the Trump administration to bar most Central American migrants from seeking asylum in the United States while the legal fight plays out in the courts. The Supreme Court, in a brief unsigned order, said the administration may enforce new rules that generally forbid asylum applications from migrants who have traveled through another country on their way to the United States without being denied asylum in that country. The court's order was a major victory for the administration, allowing it to enforce a policy that will achieve one of its central goals, effectively barring most migration across the nation's southwestern border by Honduras, uh, Hondurans, Salvadorans, Guatemalans and others. Mexican migrants who need not travel through another country are not affected by the policy. End quote. Okay, guess what? Uh, Notice how the New York Times writes this: barring most migration, that's its goal. They say effectively barring most migration. No, no, effectively barring most illegal migration. Oh, look at that! They leave that out. What a what a surprise! What a surprise that they don't tell you what's really going on here. The whole point, the whole reason you had this whole surge of Central American migrants at our southern border is they cross illegally. And after they have crossed illegally, they disappear into the interior of the United States under the guise of being processed. Right. That's what we're told under the guise of them being processed and waiting for their hearings. But then they don't show up for the hearings. And now what this is telling you is, oh, wait a second. If you just skip through Mexico and don't try to get asylum, remember, as a Spanish speaker from Central America, you'd think Mexico would be a pretty good place to claim asylum. Some, people say, Oh, Mexico's not safe. That's not true. They're very, very safe. There's different states in Mexico. Some of them are very violent, some of them are very safe. There's plenty of safe places in Mexico. You got over hundred million people live there. They're doing just fine. All right. This is this is just silly. But what you cannot have are people who are asylum jurisdiction shopping. You're not allowed to pick the, the country with the, the best welfare benefits, you know, the most uh, alluring employment situation and say, well, I desperately need asylum, but I desperately need it in that country. I don't just need to be safe. See, this is where you see the lie. They don't need asylum. They just want to skip the immigration line, because if you really need asylum, you are terrified for your life. And so you would be glad you would gladly take the first option, the very first option that that presented itself to you to be safe and with your family and be within the law. You wouldn't say, well, I'm going to keep going through this country to go to another country. That's called being an immigrant and in this case, an illegal immigrant. So on the one hand, it's showing you that there's a uh, it, it's showing you the truth of what's been happening at our border, which is I, I've been right all along what I've told you. This is a scam. The migrants know what they're doing. They know because if it wasn't a scam, then they would gladly apply in Mexico or wait in Mexico. Well, a judge recently shut down that aspect of the Trump program. These are just judges who don't like Trump's policies, don't like what he's doing. And are using their power from the federal bench to obstruct a president. That's what this is. It's, it's just political obstruction. It's not based in the law, which is why they keep losing when it moves its way up, when it goes higher in the ranks of the courts. Um, by the way, this is the second big victory the Supreme Court has given to the Trump administration. Um, there was also the two point five billion dollars in Pentagon money for the construction of a barrier of a wall. Right that that's another place they keep telling us trump is lawless what trump is doing is terrible it shouldn't be allowed to continue and then when a court looks at it they say hold on a second the president's completely allowed to do this and in the meantime he should do this and we'll take this all the way up to the supreme court another win for the president the courts the so-called muslim ban that's allowed the Uh, You know, it's not a Muslim ban. It's a temporary travel ban from high risk terrorism countries. They really needed my help on the PR on that one. But the Supreme Court upheld Trump on that, said that he can get the funds for his border wall the way that he uh, he planned to in recent weeks. And now has said that the uh, enforcement of a policy that you must apply for asylum and not just use asylum requests as a way to skip the U.S. immigration line. He just keeps being right. The administration keeps winning these battles of court. The Obama administration, I think they lost something like 13 major uh, times at the at the federal courts. And, and as it made its way, all the way, they kept doing things, the courts would say, no, sorry, you can't do that. No, sorry, that's not allowed. Trump has the other problem where the lower courts will say, oh, no, we don't like you, Trump. You can't do that. And then it makes its way up and they go, actually, Trump can do that. this is a big this is a big win on immigration because what they're doing here is shutting down the various avenues of the scam for these migrants coming from Central America if you shut down the different components of the scam then you're in a a better position to try and because the flow will drop down and then you could make longer term uh policy maneuvers about the wall about whatever it is that you think is going to secure the southern border finally so Trump's Got a win today. Progress. Yay. We'll be right back.
4: The resolution before us represents the necessary next step in our investigation of corruption, obstruction and abuse of power. That responsibility includes making a judgment about whether to recommend articles of impeachment. That judgment cannot be based on our feelings about President Trump. It should not be a personal reaction to misguided policies or personal behavior. It must be a decision based on the evidence before us, the evidence that keeps coming in.
1: Jerry Nadler, who is a a laughable little fellow in so many ways, uh, preposterous, utterly preposterous. He is doing this whole let's let's just talk a lot about whether we're going to impeach Trump thing. Let's get close to this process. You know, we're, we're not impeaching Trump. We're just thinking about maybe talking about impeaching Trump. And if you think that that's confused, that doesn't make any sense. Well, the problem is that Jerry Nadler is confused on this issue. He's not making any sense.
4: Some call this process an impeachment inquiry. Some call it an impeachment investigation. There's no legal difference between these terms, and I no longer care to argue about the nomenclature. But but let me clear up any remaining doubt. The conduct under investigation poses a threat to our democracy. We have an obligation to respond to this threat, and we are doing so.
1: If we're going to talk about threats to democracy, could we maybe talk a bit about a deep state coup that tried to undo the results of an election? We have a lot of evidence of that. I don't think that any person who is honest looking at that evidence could come away thinking anything other than, yep, that's what it was, a deep state coup To get rid of a president that was completely, not just hated by liberals, but also rankled the establishment to its very core. What Comey did, what Brennan did, what Clapper did, all these guys. And then the Democrats going along with this, acting like the special counsel was really about getting answers instead of just getting Trump. Isn't that a bigger threat to democracy? I mean, this is... This is an astonishing turn of events where we have to keep hearing that Democrats who have abused the process and weaponized the apparatus of the state in every way they can against this president, they're the ones who are defending the system. They're the ones who are making sure the system still runs smoothly. They are just crazy. They're not going to give up. House Panel approves impeachment inquiry ground rules as Dems struggle to clarify their strategy. That's the CNN Chiron that I see on the screens in front of me. House Panel approves impeachment inquiry ground rules, but they can't clarify their strategy. That's because they're not sure what they want to do. Um, because this, is n- this has never been about, oh, we have the answers that we needed, and now we're just going to accept reality. It's, well, what can we do? What can we do now to get what we want here? What can we do now to attack Trump, undermine him, hurt his presidency, hurt his re-election chances? Look, folks, what is the point of an impeachment when they know that the chances of there being a removal proceeding in the Senate are zero? Zero. They're going to impeach him to show that they hate the president? We already know that a majority of the House of Representatives hates the president because the majority of the House of Representatives is Democrat. So what's the difference? What difference at this point does it make? Where's Hillary when we need her? Where is she? It's a good question. I don't know. And here's what Nadler says about this clarification of the rules, this, this obsession with process as though the process is anything other than a, a smokescreen for indecision from Democrats who don't know if this is a good thing or not.
4: With these new procedures, we will begin next week an aggressive series of hearings uh, investigating allegations of corruption, obstruction, and abuse of power against the president. The investigation will go well beyond the four corners of the Mueller report, and we will be starting with a with our first hearing on September 17th. where We expect, among others, we expect Mr. Lewandowski, Lewandowski to testify.
1: Is there a person in America who can count to 10 who thinks that this is anything other than a political stunt? I, I really mean that. Is there is there a human being in this country who has a, a the, the most basic processes of of thought and reason, who believes that this is anything other than an opportunity for Democrats to get grandstanding coverage of all of the... Thunderous accusations they'll make on the floor of the Congress that will go nowhere about obstruction and about how Trump is damaging and destroying our democracy. You know, the Benghazi hearings are not a not a fair analogy to this because one, Benghazi resulted in Americans dying. It was a real a real thing that the government messed up, and beyond that, uh, there were real reasons to be concerned about. What had happened going forward, you know, what happened so that you could avoid it going forward? We lost our first U.S. ambassador since uh, Vietnam. That's a big deal. What are we even talking about here? When they discuss this obstruction of justice, the 10 things, Trump said something to an advisor that didn't that didn't lead to anything in the Oval Office. Really? That's what they think? Trump was angry that they were trying to undo his presidency, so he said some things and nothing happened. And he never actually obstructed an investigation, but they're going to say that it was obstruction anyway? That's what's going on? Huh. Even Nancy Pelosi, you can tell, is a little bit like, I don't,
4: I don't know if this is, a good, uh, this is a good idea. Play 14. I travel the entire country. Yeah, come with me sometime and you'll hear what the American people are saying. They understand that, that impeachment is a very divisive measure. But if we have to go there, we'll have to go there. But we can't go there unless we have the facts. And we will follow the facts and we will follow the uh, obstruction that the president is making of us are getting the facts and make our decision when we're ready. That's the only question. That's all I'm going to say about this subject.
1: Ah, they just. They just need the facts, you see. They just need the facts. Huh. Well, here's the problem with that. That's what they told us the Mueller report was all about. Getting the facts. We got them. And then they said, we don't like these facts or these facts are not enough. So now we're going to pretend that we're waiting for more facts. It needs more study. Not sure that we can ever get to a real conclusion here. What have I always told you? What is one of our. Our maxims here on the show, the process is the punishment. In this case, the process is the politics. I know that doesn't really sound very eloquent, but you know what I'm saying. By putting this out there, by saying that they're just chasing facts and want to get to the bottom of things, it excuses what we know they're really going to be doing, which is just running one long anti-Trump commercial on the floor of the House of Representatives. And if they see the polls all of a sudden uh, suddenly shift toward impeachment proceedings then maybe they'll go down that pathway but really this is just trying to bring this stuff up all over again trying to get some traction for it the good news i think is the american people except for the most diehard rachel maddow msnbc watchers and joe scarborough loons and cnn who still watches cnn it's a real question i think everyone's tired of it every normal person is
0: Who do you think is the best president that the United States has
4: had? FDR. This man led us through World War II and he led us out of a depression and he he, he led us through the New Deal. He had an extraordinary understanding not only of the larger geopolitical issues, the larger economic issues, but also a compassion for people that was unparalleled. Truly extraordinary human being. FDR is
1: Marianne Williamson's favorite president. Why am I playing you a Marianne Williamson soundbite? You may be... It's a legitimate question. You may be asking that. Considering that she will not be in Houston tonight. Well, that's why I'm playing it. Because I think you're going to miss Marianne tonight. She's girlfriend. She's not going to be up there on that stage. Telling you about how to make things so much better in this country. Um, Marianne's not going to... She didn't make it tonight. You've got... Starting at 8 Eastern in Houston. ABC doing it. You got, uh, let's see who we have here. Klobuchar, Booker, Buttigieg, Sanders, Biden, Warren, Harris, Yang. Ooh, Yang got in there. O'Rourke and Castro. Candidates are going to be making opening statements. There will be no closing remarks. There might be a little more time for them to have. Uh, Question and answer here So my friends Tonight we're going to have a Democrat debate Here's what's going to happen They are going to try to uh, Make sure that They're all Because this is the first time you have the main main candidates all on one stage I think it's going to be a bash Biden fest For a number of them Um, I think that for Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren uh, Kamala They've got to just make biden look bad i don't know how else to say it they've got to take biden down take him out of the race as much as they can and with all of them piling on biden is not a skilled he's not a skilled debater he's not a particularly adept politician he you know it's just a kind of boring mediocre guy who ran in a state where the same guy is just going to get elected year in and year out So, you know, I I think you can expect that there's going to be some fireworks directed at Biden. There's going to be some effort like you have with Kamala going after him. But now you're going to have Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. And here's a here's a prediction. I think after this debate and I shouldn't make it's fun to make predictions, though, because even if I'm if I'm wrong, you'll never hear about it again. If I'm right, I'll tell you about it all the time. By the way, I'm honest with you about that. Other hosts are just like, "Oh, I call this, I'm the best, I'm the best at radio. I'm amazing. I'm the best host ever, blah blah blah, blah blah. I called this, and I called that, and let's play the tape, and you're like, all right, buddy, but did you really did you really make all those calls, or are you just showing us the ones that you did right? you know the ones the ones if if I make ten predictions about the election and I get five of them right, am I doing a great job, especially if they're binary choices? I don't know uh, I think that you're gonna have." Uh, you're going to recognize that people are going to start looking to put VPs in different slots too. very decent chance that you'll see, I, I think a discussion of how if it's going to be Biden or Bernie, there needs to be a female candidate and the female candidate. If I'm Biden or Bernie, you know who I probably think of as a VP? Cause I don't want to get overshadowed. Klobuchar. I know she eats salad with a dirty comb And throws things at her staff. We've already established that. It's not exactly charming stuff. But she would uh, bring that Midwest connection, which is going to be critical for any Democrat running against Trump who really thinks they're going to have a shot at winning. And she's not. She's not a big deal. You have a woman on the ticket. You have Midwest on the ticket. But you don't have. See, if you if you're Biden, you don't want Warren to be your VP, because then everyone's just kind of like, when's this Biden guy going to decide to hang it up, go retire and fly fish? Uh, same thing with Bernie. You can't have Warren as your VP in that situation. I, I, I mean, it would make sense from the perspective of the party, but I don't think that either of those individuals. Look, these guys all have really big egos. You have to have a huge ego to want to be the president of the United States. Um, Buddha Judge is going to be his usual, you know. Well, the Bible says this, and the Bible says that, and you know, Donald Trump violates the Bible. You know, you're you're from the infanticide party, dude. Calm calm yourself a little bit. Slow slow your roll. Slow your roll. Uh, Yang will be, you know, interesting, but nothing really. And it won't be anything to write home about. I I think we've all realized that universal basic income, it's a fun idea to talk about, but it's just it's a huge gateway drug for all out socialism. Then all you need then is is 51 percent of the voting population decide their universal basic income needs to go up. And if the government just has a relationship now where it sends everyone a check every month for it's gonna be wildly expensive though the whole thing is is kind of silly really it's an interest it's interesting intellectually to talk about but in reality it would be a disaster and castro is uh just gonna do his usual thing which is say that donald trump is worse than hitler and that what's going on at the border is more or less a concentration camp so i i don't think you're gonna see any surprises tonight but uh, you heard it here first i think I think klobuchar still in this mostly to to She's no way she's going to be president, but she could be a good VP candidate for uh, either of the leading male uh, contenders, Biden or or Bernie. And as for Warren, she just has to be she just has to do a good enough performance. And I think you're going to start to see her showing up in more polls ahead of Biden. She just she just has to do a, a B plus no big mistakes, but no huge wins. And you're likely to see, in my opinion, you're likely likely to see Elizabeth Warren um, get get really close in the in the next rounds of polls to frontrunner status. That's that's what I think you are going to see. So then you might be asking, Buck, your tweets are amazing. Are you going to be live tweeting tonight? Ah, some of it. I don't know if I can watch all of it. I got things to do. I got books to write. I got places to go and people to see and apartment situations to square away i've got apartment troubles friends don't don't even get me started uh so we got to figure this out i don't know I, I probably will do an hour or two of it but i already for me i already know what they're going to say um it, you know it's it's hard to get that excited about watching these democrats up close and personal on this on the stage because they're not going to have any they're not going to have any breakout moments that's very unlikely um, n- none of them are really that skilled as politicians. I mean, there's no one who is electrifying on that stage at all.
2: I mean, Elizabeth
1: Warren? I mean, really? That's that's not going to work. Uh, Bernie's fun to listen to, but he's crazy. You know, he wants he wants Medicare for All. Well, turns out there's a new poll out today that says Medicare for All is less popular among Democrats than an expansion of Obamacare because Obamacare, while a bad law that didn't accomplish what it said it would is not absolutely completely insane. But because Bernie is insane, he would rather choose the absolutely insane policy. Therefore, forthwith, the end. That's. I, I think I just pretty much did the entire Democrat health care debate for you in a couple of minutes there. I think that's likely to be all you really need to hear. So, yeah, I, I think I'll live to eat some of it. I don't know. You know. It depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Sometimes I just feel like you gotta, you got to separate yourself from this Democrat madness. I've been reading about it, looking at it all. All right, I'll do, I'll do some. I'll do some. I'll do one. One hour. Probably nine to ten. And, team, you've got to let me know if you want me to. First of all, I hope all of you start getting on Twitter and being active on Twitter. Uh, it's a very useful resource if you're interested in politics, just to follow what's going on. But then also, if you, if you want me to post cross-post things on Facebook, let me know. That's another thing I can do.
0: So, yeah. See you at the live tweets. Democrat debate. Here's a startling statistic. Since 9-11, right wing terrorists have killed more people in the United States than jihadist terrorists. That's according to New America. There are some folks for who their for their own political purposes would like to keep the focus on only one form of political violence over another. But that would be unwise because we don't have the luxury of choosing which threats we face. And there's a case to be made that these threats actually echo each other, as our colleague Jim Sciutto and others have argued. They're weaponized versions of tribalism, motivated by fear and finding identity in their hatred of the other. As Max Fisher of the Times wrote, in both, there's the apocalyptic ideology that predicts and promises to hasten a civilizational conflict that will consume the world. To mark the 18th anniversary of 9-11 is to reflect on how we're all the children of 9-11. That attack unleashed destructive forces that we're still wrestling with. But to truly learn the lessons of 9-11 is to resolve not to let hate win or fear define us
1: all of the terrorism analysis there from john avalon at cnn is idiotic wrong weak based in a lack of knowledge understanding and background in the subject matter all of it i mean i i I can't think of one thing oh yeah well that's first of all and they love to do this i know yesterday i had other things on my mind and it was a solemn day and i I didn't dig into this one as much as i wanted to but i i can't let i can't let this slide They love to do this at CNN. Since 9-11. Okay, well, how about we do since the year 2000? Let's just pick a round number. Because to do since 9-11 is to cut out about 3,000 deaths from terrorism, which is more than all the terrorist deaths since then, every year combined. So that's kind of a big thing, right? This is, you know... Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play, right? This is how CNN does the whole statistical analysis since 9 11. Start with that. Then look at this claim. Again, that there's, uh, he, he cited New America. I assume he means the New America Foundation, which is a left wing think tank of just garbage. But yeah, go on CNN and cite that as some kind of a. A source. Uh, Jim Shuto doesn't know anything about terrorism, really. Jim Shuto is a guy on TV playing a guy who knows something about terrorism. Uh, what else was was said there that I can.
4: Oh,
1: there's so much. I sit here. going, Oh, my gosh. Uh, do, do a little thought experiment for yourself when you're getting on an airplane. And you're going through the whole TSA thing. Uh, are Are you doing that? Because there's a concern that some guy who uh, you know thinks that the tax rate is too high is going to blow up the plane, or somebody who is a an Islamic jihadist is going to blow up the plane. Just start with that, right? I know that that's somewhat anecdotal, but it's real, and it then forces us into a conversation about how the truthfully uh, the multi billion dollar Security apparatus, and, and to say multi-billion is just a fraction of it. I mean, we spend hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars trying to prevent terrorist acts. In ter- I could sit here and just walk you through all the things. Blast radius analysis for federal government buildings. Uh, you know, Survivability analysis for internal major structures in cities that are believed to be terrorist targets. Airport security, all, all these things. That's overwhelmingly because of Islamic jihadism. That's what we're worried about. We're worried about Al-Qaeda or an Al-Qaeda-like group. We're not worried about some guy who is a sovereign citizen or something. I'm not saying that they don't ever hit us. Anarchists used to be the big concern for terrorism. Anarchists uh, engaged in some presidential assassinations. They had the bombing of Wall Street. It used to be that the terrorists were the anarchists. And the anarchists were essentially, well, syndicalists and socialists, but that's... Again something we can get into more another time uh, this theory that CNN and you've noticed the left advances all the time they would rather be worried they they'd, they'd prefer living in a country where a domestic uh, and and really the domestic majority politically in their mind or close to majority that half the country conservatives, are the real terrorists. That's really, when they're talking about right-wing terrorism, notice how there's such a a lack of specificity to this. What is right-wing terrorism? How do they define right-wing terrorism? I mean, Timothy McVeigh, for example, who's the person they generally will point to, was a loon with all kinds of beliefs that didn't really link up, didn't really make sense. Uh, But what qualifies somebody as as right-wing terrorism? when they discuss uh, acts of hate and how this is, it's all really just hate-driven, uh, that's not true. Jihadists have a global philosophy that draws upon centuries, some would say over a millennium, of expansion and conquest and undermining of other faiths and civilizations and nation-states and bending them to their will. And they think that they're ascendant right now, especially because the West, which has been the dominant economic, military and cultural power in the world for the last, well, certainly the last couple of hundred years, the West has gotten decadent and soft and weak. And we see that in a West that likes to say, no, no, the real terrorists are the people that are from within our own countries, not the importation of Islamic radicalism from abroad. Remember, the September 11th attackers were not, they weren't our people. There were 15 Saudis and I think a a Palestinian or two, an Egyptian. and But all Muslims, all foreigners. They weren't Americans. They weren't Muslim Americans. They were people who were external to America. And yet the CNN cocktail party favorite belief in this matter is that they that the right-wing terrorists are the real worry. Right-wing terrorists are the people we need to be so so concerned about. Um, you know, hate crimes and, and hate violence is really just driven by that. Some people are just full of hate. They're usually, uh, they're often deranged. They're losers. They are full of an internal emotional and psychological rage and they act violently on based on that. I would just note that There's no nation state support for hate violence. There's no transnational hate violence terrorist group with access to tens of millions of dollars of funding training camps. You've never had a transnational hate group. And by hate group, they're overwhelmingly going to refer to and really entirely uh, white nationalists and neo-Nazi types because they don't believe no matter how uh, nationalistic, jingoistic exclusionary non-white uh, violent groups are they're they're never based first and foremost in hate there's always some other reason right? there's always some other uh, explanation you know they're they're separatists or they're insurgents or they're something else but I do think it's just noteworthy that the the left would really wrap the left sleeps better at night thinking that roughly half the country has an ideology that could at any moment, at any moment could just go bad, or almost of a sudden someone becomes a terrorist, then a very, very, very small percentage of the country and a small percentage of that percentage within the Islamic population, and that that's where the primary focus should be on counterterrorism efforts. You know, you've got roughly 50% of the country is right-wing in one way or another. Roughly 2% of the country is Muslim. And the moment that you include September 11th, the biggest terror threat is still Islamic radicalism. I would also tell you that, and I don't like saying this because it's not a prophecy that I or a, uh, a prediction that I want to be true. I think Islamic radicalism is going to make a comeback. I just think it will, uh, especially if we turn our eyes entirely toward dealing on, with these uh, nation state competitors like China and Russia. There will be opportunity, and some of it's going to come from us just getting tired of trying to help allies and good guys in the Muslim world. Some of the vacuum that these uh, forces of Islamic radicalism will rush into will come from that. But I do see that happening. I think that there will be a, a recurrence. There will be something that um, it's going to change. It's going to change back. But I, I hate this analysis that, one, that all terrorism is rooted in hate or tribalism. It's, just, it's not true. Uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of Marxist terrorism. Of course, the left forgets about that. A lot of terrorist groups that were revolutionary Marxists uh, and they killed lots and lots and lots of people. I'm not even talking about the regimes. I'm talking about insurgencies within other countries. They were terrorists. Absolutely. Were they doing it out of hate or are they doing it because they believe they're bringing about a better world? Jihadists think they're bringing about a better world. They really do. They blow themselves up in crowded marketplaces because they think they're going to heaven and they think that they'll create a heaven on earth or rather the people that come after them will create a heaven on earth by following a, uh, a radical interpretation or fundamentalist, I should say, interpretation of the Quran. They're not just doing it because, yeah, they, they hate the enemy, but everybody hates their enemy, right? I mean, whether you're in a, a real war or a, a crazy person's war. They th- they have a coherent ideology that runs entire nation states and that we have had to fight multiple wars. In fact, many wars before even Iraq and Afghanistan to keep radical Islam at bay. And we keep getting told that the real concern is people wearing MAGA hats or something. It's just it's just nuts. CNN is, is a shameful organization. I really hope that there's a I mean this as an American, I would like to see. A leadership shakeup at CNN where they decide that they're really going to be a a neutral journalism organization. They're going to be just devoted to those that they pretend they still are. But that's a joke. I mean, that's for idiots now. That's laughable. As the head of CNN PR found out when he tangled with me online once on this issue on Twitter. uh -uh, buddy, That doesn't work anymore. The word just journalist, man. I don't think so. Uh, but that, you know, the real terrorists are, are right wing. It's such, it's so dirty. It's so pathetic. It's not true. Uh, and I worked in terrorism, and all those clowns I have going on TV, they either didn't work in terrorism, or if they did, they were little ideologues that ignored the reality of what they were doing day in and day out, which was trying to stop Islamic radicalism. They were not tracking white supremacist terror cells all over the country in the fbi we were not worried about the importation of white supremacist cells when i was at the cia we were worried about guys coming from yemen and iraq and afghanistan etc cetera, etc cetera, though there was a lot of that
0: concern we'll be right back
5: there are still a lot of skeptics
0: possibly our president is one
5: you know you, you we can and should debate what is the best route to mitigate climate change and global warming? The, the science, the fact that it's happening, is settled. There is no okay. other side so, to so the science. To you,
0: there is no debate whether or not this exists. It exists, so there's no
4: reason to give voice to the other. It's,
5: it's right in front of us. The phenomenon. We can debate the methods. We can debate the policies. We do, in this issue and in all of our coverage, debate how we come at this. But the fact that it's happening is, is settled.
0: Uh, It's stunning that there are still people who are skeptical.
1: It's stunning that there are still people who are skeptical that what? The Green New Deal is a good idea, folks. That's that's some MSNBC classic stuff there for you. That's Time editor Edward Felsenthal. What the heck does he know about any of this anyway? But notice how they set up the argument. We know it's happening. We can debate what to do about it. But because we know it's happening, it's just a question of how much we choose to do about it. And to that I say, okay. Well, guess what? It is happening. But we can debate whether or not we need to do anything about it because the real debate is: is there a problem? Is climate change, which is I would argue a naturally occurring phenomenon that has always existed, and I'm correct in saying that they would freak. Oh, no, no, that's true. Climate has always been changing. There is no such thing as a static climate. There's no such thing as a perfect temperature. It does not just sit there forever and all eternity. Climate has gone up. It has gone down. We know this. So to say that climate change is occurring is to say nothing because it has always been. And I say, oh, but it's been happening so much faster, so much faster. Uh, no, not really. If you look at the last 10 years, maybe if you look at the last 100 years. No, nope, it's not. Everything's fine. And that's why just establishing that there's something going on does not mean that then you're talking about how much action must be taken in response to this. The real answer should be how much uh, or, or the real uh, debate, rather, is whether any action is necessary in response to the thing that we can agree is happening. Essentially, it's happening, but who cares? That's where I am on climate change. Yeah, it's happening. Who cares? Doesn't matter. It doesn't Matter and all the people that are freaking out and yelling about how much it matters, they have either they have no idea what they're talking about in terms of the history of this issue in the past, and the people that are throwing their credentials around are overwhelmingly the same people who were wrong about this in the past. So I don't particularly want to listen to them either. I just I think that they don't uh, they don't get it. There's a lack of, of honesty here, but also the uh, saying things are settled. Nothing in science has ever really truly settled. Yeah, nothing in science has ever settled here. Sit down with people that study this all the time and to, you know, find a scientist and say, uh, why are people getting fat? Is it because we eat more or is it because there's too much sugar in the food we eat? You'll have world renowned experts on that issue argue for hours. The science is settled. One side could say that, but the other side will say no. And, you know, there's also there, there's a, a desire, I think, to make these issues more simplistic than they are. Um, you know, for example, when I say something like the science of whether the, the science of whether the measles, uh, mumps and rubella vaccine is or the, that those vaccination, the vaccinations you get as a baby Um, the science of whether or not that's safe is settled insofar as it's overwhelmingly safe. Can I tell you it's perfectly safe? No, but it's not perfectly safe to take a Tylenol either. You know, something could happen. Anything can happen. As I have found out now, moving into an apartment in New York where I'm dealing with noise, the likes of which I've never experienced in my adult life. So, you know, anything can happen. It's really a question of what risks you're willing to take and what action you think is necessary in response To all of that. Oh, since I have your attention, I did want to bring up that uh, I am going to be next week um, giving a speech, and I'm hoping those of you in the New York area will be able to come. It is Thursday, September 19th at the Women's National Republican Club here in New York City, 3 West 51st Street. Again, Thursday, September 19th, Women's National Republican Club, 3 West 51st Street, second floor Grand Ballroom. Tickets are $15 at the door. It will be a lot of fun. You can pre-purchase them if you want. You can just go on Eventbrite and uh, find the tickets there. But $15 at the door. It goes to a good group of young Republicans here in New York City. So I, I would ask that if you can, if you're in New York, Team Buck New York, I need you to show up in full force to this event and uh, as I said, it's going to be on Thursday. Chadwick Moore is also going to be uh, speaking. I don't really know Chadwick, but he's very highly regarded by some friends of mine on the on the conser- in the conservative movement. So it's uh, Thursday, September nineteenth. Women's National Republican Club, three West Fifty First Street, second floor ballroom, fifteen dollars at the door. Please, please come. It's the New York Young Republicans Club that is putting this on, which will be uh, it'll be a really good event. I'm going to give you a speech on wartime conservatism if you are there it will be fantastic so I highly highly recommend that you come join in on that action Uh, team will take a A breather to catch ourselves, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment.
0: I can just tell you, I can tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a grown-up. I'm looking for someone who understands the consequences of war, someone who realizes the United States has historically played a positive role when it comes to world peace, and someone who's willing to tell this president he's just plain wrong. Uh, If we don't find such a person, I'm afraid this president's instincts move us in the wrong direction in a dangerous direction question is, will there ever be anyone, frankly, either inside this administration or my colleagues in the House, our colleagues across the Capitol and the Senate, who are willing to stand up to this president uh, and call him out for this confusing foreign policy, and especially as we approach these next elections, uh, his failure to secure our democracy against attacks by Russia while standing up for Putin, while continuing to say that he believes Vladimir Putin when he says that Russia didn't interfere in our last election. Those are the the words that we need. We need some courage from people who are willing to stand up while they're in office, while they're in the White House, not an analysis after the fact when another one of trump's uh, appointees winds up leaving so
1: much blather from democrats i'm sorry i know you had to sit through that for a second there but this is the blah blah who's gonna speak the truth to trump about all this stuff i'm sure people tell him things he doesn't want to hear all the time (laughs) Guys, president of the united states the world is a difficult and dangerous place Uh, it turns turns out that Guess what? People didn't want to tell Obama things he didn't want to hear in his administration that were around him. I can tell you that much. This is a this is a constant problem, though. I I can tell you from the uh, intelligence community side, everyone thinks that the intelligence community is there or or, or I should say this is the common perception. And the National Security Advisor is a White House cabinet position, but it's really considered to be somebody who's operating in the intelligence world. Right. It's somebody who is. Looking at all the super secret stuff and understands what's going on in that in that realm. And I just I just tell you that when you when you look at the people that get that kind of access to a president, they're going to be people who the president likes, regardless of the administration. There is always a push pull. There's always a balancing act between being in a, in a place where you'll tell the president, you know, what you think he needs to hear And not badgering a president who, at the end of the day, you're just there in an advisory role. He, and it has always been a he up to this point, is a commander-in-chief, and it's up to him. And the people, the American people, our system has given him that authority and power to make very important decisions that affect the lives of countless millions of people. So that that they think that there's going to be somebody who is going to just stand up and speak the truth to the president that he doesn't want to hear— and then I mean all that other stuff. Who was that? That Was Ted Deutsch? I think talking about the how he's not willing to secure our democracy. Anyone who says things like that—that's just that's a nonsense phrase. First of all, we don't have a democracy. This is a constitutional republic. And second of all, what would be enough? When is it secure? When is it a uh, you know when can they stop criticizing Trump for not spending enough money on? Voting machine changes or whatever it is, you know, they always they're so funny. If you do anything to make voting more secure in America from American interference, you are violating the Voting Rights Act. You're a racist. You're doing voter suppression, anything at all. You know, voter I.D. not allowed to do that. That's terrible. Even the Supreme Court said it's totally legitimate, but it's still terrible. I can't do that. Okay, so voter I.D. you can't do. But there's no amount of money. I'm telling you, there's no amount of money that can be spent on uh, President Trump's efforts to try and stop Russians from being able to access our, our election grid or whatever. There's not really a grid, right? They're, they're air gap machines. Access our election machinery. Doesn't matter. It's never enough. It's never enough, and it's never enough because they think that he still wants Putin's interference. He still believes in, in having uh, you know Vladimir Putin... Telling them what to do, calling the shots These people are—they're just nuts. They're just—they're they're never going to give this up. Just like you know, the impeachment talk should have absolutely gone away after the Mueller report came out, but they can't help it now. You know, now they're going to find some other reason to impeach. Him. This is really very much the equivalent of if I got brought in on a murder charge, and I was acquitted of the murder charge in a court, and then the court said all right, well, we're going to do an investigation of you and we're going to find something on you. And then they bring a whole bunch of other vague charges that have nothing to do with anything from the murder case. And I get acquitted on that. And, and then they go, okay, well, we're going to look and find some more stuff. And they just keep bringing charges. You know, eventually you recognize that it's selective prosecution, that it's a corrupt system, and that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I would just like... Libs to admit that this is purely political, that theres they're, they're not defending some principle here. There's nothing about all the talk around, oh, securing our democracy and securing our elections and all this stuff that has anything to do with making the world uh, that we live in a better place. That it's everything to do with making Democrats more powerful. That's it. They can whine and talk about other stuff and blah, blah, blah. But no, no, false, not true. It's not reality. It's not uh, the situation. And yet here we are. Still having to fixate on whether whether Trump will have anybody around it. This is like when they say that Trump is a fascist. They say Trump is a fascist. Meanwhile, all it takes is one federal judge to say that he and wrongly, as we see time and again, these federal judges who are hashtag resistance who come forward with, oh, Trump can't do that. Oh, he can't do that. They're wrong. The federal judges that told Obama he couldn't do things when this got looked at higher up the chain of of the court system, a uh, chain of command, so to speak. It's not really chain of command, but as it moved its way through the appellate courts and into the Supreme Court, Obama was wrong. Obama was getting overturned in the courts time and time again. And and the ultimate the ultimate decision was that Obama had taken power that wasn't his Obama had violated the Constitution with Trump. You keep having these judges who are all lefty Democrat appointed judges who just think that stopping Trump from doing something for a few months even is worth it. It doesn't matter what that means for the rule of law. It doesn't matter that it shows how politicized our judiciary has become. They just want to slow Trump down. And they pretend that he's a he's a dictator. One federal judge can slow him down, he's a dictator. Trump has had all kinds of people around him. They come, they go, he fires people. They don't last that long. And, yeah, people say that it's because Trump is volatile and thin-skinned and all the rest of it. I'm, I'm sure that's true, but it's also, guess what? It's working out pretty darn well. Foreign policy-wise, he hasn't made any... Any major errors, major blunders, and he set a few things right. The Paris Climate Accord is garbage nonsense. Uh, getting us out of Afghanistan would be absolutely the right move. Getting out of the Iran nuclear deal is the right move. You know, he's, he's done these things that are the things that I would want him to do, and yet the Libs act like because he doesn't have a staff full of people that have the fanciest Ivy League credentials. By the way, Trump went to an Ivy League school. Everyone always forgets this. Trump went to Warden. They act like Trump uh, you know, learned everything from the school of hard knocks and started out his business by driving around an ice cream truck. Uh, he's actually a product of the very Ivy League institutions that all these leftists think need to be
2: running the country. But they think that someone's going to speak truth to power to him. That's what they say. Think about the fact that Donald Trump, an American president, actually fired uh, his national security advisor. Are, are, are forced him out because the dictator of North Korea didn't like him. Didn't like him. I mean, you have, again, Bolton being tough, not only in North Korea, he's been, he spent a lifetime being tough on Iran, which Donald Trump's now talking about giving a $15 billion bailout to uh, because of mistakes that he himself has made. He's, he's been a patsy for Russia. Uh, So much so that his own intel community says that American democracy is at risk. Uh, The Taliban, I mean, Bolton wasn't sufficiently pro-Taliban enough. Donald Trump wanted to invite on near the anniversary of September 11th, the Taliban to Camp David. I mean, this is a guy, Willie, this is a guy who continues, and we've said it for some time, but he keeps doing it, embracing our enemies and insulting our allies. I don't think John Bolton was ever going to fit neatly uh, into that sort of ideological construct.
1: Oh, that's right. John Bolton's great now. I said it as soon as he got fired. You're going to have the Joe Scarboroughs of the war of the world and many others telling you that John Bolton is... Uh, There's a lot of foreign policy platitudes you tend to hear from people who have never worked in the realm. And honestly, a lot of a lot from people who do work in it and just don't think very long and hard about uh, what it is that they're saying. Tough on North Korea, John Bolton. John Bolton's tough on these places. Okay, what exactly does that mean? Because in the case of North Korea, it means that they have advanced really in in, in a in a straight line pretty much with some pauses but never a real you know there there have been momentary freezes but there have not been long-term declines in North Korean belligerence or certainly in nuclear capability it's just been getting stronger and stronger with every passing year so when we look at this now you have to say to yourself okay well someone explain to me uh What is it that Trump is doing that is weak on those countries when it comes to actions, not words? Kim Jong-un has met with the president of the United States. This has not changed anything that anyone could point to in his political position. There's nothing about the sanctions that has changed. In fact, if anything, there have been stronger sanctions. There's been more of an effort to box Kim Jong-un in. But there's also this problem of judgment, and and this is what uh, this is where I, I keep returning to this thought when we're discussing not just Bolton but all those who share his view on this stuff, all of those who think that Bolton more or less has it right, more or less understands uh, what needs to be what needs to be done uh, in the Middle East and in the rest of the world, and that is if he doesn't if he doesn't think that what we've been through in the Middle East is some kind of uh, learning experience and not in a good way that's deeply concerning uh, we we have a a record of rebuilding muslim countries muslim majority countries as successful you know pluralistic democracies without the imminent threat of collapse or civil war our, our record is very poor in this area it's very very poor
4: um,
1: there's nothing to indicate that Middle Eastern countries that we have uh, or and when I say Middle East also obviously Afghanistan South Asia tactically, but it's really Southwest Asia. But uh, you know, there's nothing to really indicate that any of these situations would be better if we stayed longer. They'll just stay where they are. And I think it's interesting to do a a look back at history and think, well, what would have happened if we had not made the decision to go into Iraq? Um, It is worth learning from our mistakes. And I do think I do think that what happened in Iraq was a mistake. Um, I think that we've made a mistake now or we had made a mistake. Uh, It it doesn't it seems to me that it's just not possible to really justify all the all the losses, all the money, everything that we've gone through there uh, to remove Saddam Hussein. When what is the strategic benefit that we have? How does this make the world better for us? I know that's hard to say. It's, it's, it's hard for me to say. I worked on the Iraq desk at the CIA. I don't want to believe that the mission set that I was trying to, uh, in some small way, assist with, I don't want to believe that that was a mission set that shouldn't have been needed in the first place. By the time I came along, we had already invaded, and al-Qaeda in Iraq was running all over the place, and things were a total mess, I and mean, there was no choice. We had to do a lot of things there. But I also think that we have to be willing to say that mistakes have been made. That in retrospect, now that we have seen the pathway here, we wouldn't have done things the same way. And it's one thing to have made the wrong decision. I think that that's it's hard to hold any one person responsible for these things. It's another thing to say that uh, we have. Continued to make the wrong decisions because we weren't willing to understand that we made a wrong decision in the first place. That's where I, I really, do, I really don't want us to be there. I don't want us to be at that level. and I, I worry that that could happen. And, and all these people that are talking about how great Bolton is—you uh, know—if you go back, they would be saying that Bolton is a uh, Bolton is a war He's a hawk. He's terrible. He's a bad guy. Now they're trying to tell us, oh no, they, they think that he's great. They think that he's he's so much better than anything that you would have with Trump uh, calling the shots. I would just say this to you. On China, you can argue with the tactics, but on the fundamental premise that we need to do something to confront Chinese trade manipulation and what China has been doing to the United States for years, Trump was right. The experts, most of them, were wrong. And I I think that that's noteworthy. I, I think that we ignore that at our peril. By the way, speaking of people who are tough on... Middle Eastern countries. Here's what uh, Netanyahu has had to say about Iran. Netanyahu can't get much attention for his concerns about Iran these days, so we'll give him some here.
2: Look, I think that we are in constant contact with the United States, with President Trump and his team, about the need to continue to exert pressure on Iran and to change the agreement. I've always said that the agreement was flawed because didn't condition the lifting of sanctions on a change of iran's aggressive behavior it conditioned it on a mere automatic change of the calendar and that's wrong and i'm sure that the president trump will continue the policy of demanding changes in iran's uh behavior both in its quest for nuclear weapons uh, and also in its aggression in the region
1: i think trump will i think he's gonna keep the sanctions in place you know, he he should get credit here. The people say that Bolton's so tough on Iran. Trump is the one that got us out of the Iran deal. I think this often gets lost in this conversation. Trump is the one that said no more Iran deal, and there were going to be additional sanctions against the Iranians, uh, and they we weren't going to bow to European pressure or any of the rest of it. So I th- I think that Trump's instincts are better on these things than a lot of people give him credit for. Do I do I recognize that Trump is a little volatile, you could say, from a personnel standpoint, a little bit of a loose cannon sometimes. Sure, of course. We're honest here. But I also believe that he is a more... Um, I also believe that Trump has a better sense of what needs to be done on these issues than people tend to give him. Certainly than his critics give him credit for. But I think even that a lot of people that believe Trump otherwise is a sound president, uh, his foreign policy instincts... Are generally
2: correct. I want facts. I don't want false comfort. I don't want speculation. Uh, I don't want people pulling stuff out of their orifices. I want to see the causal scientific links of how if we curtail the Second Amendment, public safety is going to be enhanced.
1: I'm with uh, Senator John Kennedy there. I would like some presentation of a reasoned factual argument. As to why we should all um, accept the curtailing of our uh, Second Amendment rights, I I I would like to know exactly, you know, why we should go for that, why we should accept that. Um, We shouldn't based on what we've been told so far, but that's not stopping the left from advancing these arguments just using brute force repetition, moral and emotional blackmail and bludgeoning. And that then brings me to what happened today here with the uh, chief executives of 145 companies are urging the Senate to pass gun control laws, including the chief executives of Levi Strauss, Uber, Gap. And uh, this comes after Walmart has decided that it's not going to sell certain ammunition in its stores anymore. So You got some very, very big uh we got some very big companies here that are stepping in, and this is the other, you know, we often talk about Democrats' power in the media, but they also have a tremendous amount of corporate power. Major corporations understand that even if they're, even if the uh, consumers that they serve are not overwhelmingly liberal, even if their employees are not overwhelmingly liberal, there's a very real, uh, there's a very real perception That the left will boycott, the left will take action against you, and so in response, what do you have? You have companies that just say, if we're going to try to make one side happy, we're going to try to make the libs happy, because they're the crazy ones that will boycott and freak out, and the conservatives, if they like a product, will buy it, even if the company is woke. I think it's mostly true. I think that perception is rooted in reality. So you have uh, this this letter that says, quote, uh, we urge the Senate to stand with the American public and take action on gun safety by passing a bill to require background checks on all gun sales and a strong red flag law that would allow courts to issue life-saving, life-saving extreme risk protection orders. Uh, So they want universal background checks and red flag laws, uh, which... Red flag laws allow family members, according to CNBC here, to petition a court to prevent someone temporarily from obtaining firearms. Right. So it's a temporary firearms restraining order is what it really is. It's actually what we should call it. Uber, Levi Strauss, Gap, Lyft, Beyond Meat, uh, Dick, uh, Dick Sporting Goods CEO, Edward Stack. They stopped selling guns in 125 stores this year uh, and they stopped selling assault rifles. And after the Parkland shooting in 2018... So, oh, Bain Capital got involved in this. Uh, remember Mitt Romney and Bain Capital back in the day? So you got a whole bunch of, of big companies that are all saying they want this done. The problem is I see it with universal background checks. Uh, is that if you have universal background checks to include private sale and transfer, then you, you will, in pretty short order, have what is the equivalent of a of a gun registry. You will know every gun that has gone from one person to another person in the country. And if you know who it's gone, and you'll only know the legal guns and the people that agree to this, which is another part of this whole equation that the libs don't seem to understand. There are a lot of people I have met people. I know people who would rather be in violation of the law than accept the limitations put on their Second Amendment rights by libs who go hysterical after a mass shooting incident and decide the Second Amendment doesn't really count anymore. I know many, many people whose real preference uh, is to just go as they are right now, continue to own firearms, and wait for the government to get them and make an issue of it, to come after them. So even if you created this universal, uh, or or rather you created this, this basis for a universal gun registry because you have universal background checks, doesn't mean you're going to get every gun. Doesn't mean doesn't mean you're going to even get a majority of all the guns that are out there. It depends on what people do. Uh, and you know, right now, if you're buying a gun in a commercial sale, you have to go through a background check. Um, I do want to check on exactly what the storyline was behind uh, one of the more recent shootings where we were told the individual in uh, Texas, I think, bought it in a private sale. That was the CNN story. And then it it fell away very quickly. So I would like to follow up on that because that to me, that strikes me as suspicious that they would have a story like that and we wouldn't have a lot more detail on it. It might have happened. I just it's possible that I that I could have missed it. Uh, and then you also have people who are getting very involved in this debate right now who their qualifications are that they are famous, which I suppose now is a qualification for anything. You know, I'm going to be the. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Why? Because I'm a reality TV star. You know, I'm going to be, you can be anything now. And I mean that. Our system of credentialing is, it feels very uh, outdated when you have the president of the United States, for example, never been a politician and had been a a media celebrity as well as an entrepreneur and a builder, but there are are so many others seeing these politicians who their background is just being famous and then they are able to run for office schwarzenegger arnold schwarzenegger yeah i guess he doesn't always say yeah much anymore the, the governor it's kind of hard to do his voice Alyssa milano is one of them though she's in this debate she's in this discussion now and she wanted to sit down with ted cruz and she got it i look at my children and i'm terrified I don't know how to keep my children sick. Mm -hmm. For many people in this country, your stance has made you almost like this caricature of a villain. Mm -hmm. And that's why this meeting was so important for me because I wanted to be able to look at you in the eye and know that you're really a human with a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. You're not a a space alien lizard, Ted Cruz. (laughs) No, he's not. I mean, Ted's not exactly a barrel of laughs either, I'll tell you that. But he's not, a, he's not a space alien. He is, in fact, he is Ted Cruz. He does what he does. I remember when I talked to guns with Alyssa Milano, what was it now, about 18 months ago? Maybe he's a little more than that. And she was not knowledgeable about guns, although claimed to have two guns in her home. Um, but is very, a very big advocate of gun control, and this comes after she also has be, been very vocal about how uh, good a decision she thinks it was to have had uh, two abortions when she was a young woman. So I think that her judgment, to put it uh, mildly, is suspect on a whole range of matters, but we'll have to see what ends up um, happening with whether or not there is any uh, gun control That actually gets signed by the President of the United States. That becomes law. I think the answer is likely no, but there's a possibility here. We're still talking about it. There's still ongoing discussion. So we will have to see if that, in fact, leads to any kind of action here. I think we have the laws we need to have. The the mass shootings that have resulted are not a function of lacking adequate laws. That is my that is my honest belief, my honest assessment. Um, we'll be back in just a moment, my friends. All right, Team Buck, we have a special treat for you. We are joined by a candidate for California's 33rd congressional district. Brandon Fricky is with us now. He's running as an independent against Ted Lieu. So you're all going to be rooting for him, whether you know Brandon or not. Uh, he is also fiance to the one and only Tommy Laren, friend of the show we wanted to get Brandon in on the action here tell us what his plans are for running Brandon good to have you on
3: thanks for having me Buck it's uh I'm glad I could could join you today
1: yeah man so okay why why are you, why are you running against Ted Lieu up in California I would think that as a as a super lib anti-Trump lunatic he'd probably be in really good shape in California but you think you can take him down
3: I do. You know, I, I think Ted has gone a little further left than the, than the constituents here, um, would like him to. We have, we have a lot of issues here in California that need, need work. Our crime is increasing. Homelessness, as I'm sure everybody has seen on, on the uh, nightly news shows is an absolute crisis at this point. And, uh, and Ted is busy each and every day tweeting about Donald Trump. And, you know, he, uh, he was in it newspaper article probably about six weeks ago, and it was a nice puff piece. And he said his biggest fight of 2020 is defeating Donald Trump. And for me as a constituent, you know, I don't think that a Congress member's job is to defeat the president. It should be to represent the district that he was elected to do so.
1: How bad are things getting in California? You know, we often see News stories uh, on on Fox and elsewhere about the needles on the streets in San Francisco, the the app that shows people where there's human feces on the streets. Also, I believe in San Francisco. I saw 10 cities when I was in L.A. I mean, you're you're out there in the 33rd congressional districts. You're what you're a little south of Los Angeles. Uh, Are are things really deteriorating? I mean, you know, New York City, I can tell you they definitely are under de Blasio. But that's not a shock to anybody because he's an imbecile. Are things getting worse
3: where you are? Yeah, they are. You know, so the 33rd district goes, uh, from the South Bay of Los Angeles, from Palos Verdes, all along the coast, up to the end of Malibu. And that encompasses Venice Beach and Santa Monica, and then works its way into Beverly Hills. And while S- uh, Santa Monica and Venice in particular have always, you know, had their, uh, their hippie edge and, you know, a little bit counterculture, um, things have really gotten bad there. And, you know, the Hollywood Reporter, they, they ran an article a few, few months back, where good Hollywood liberals who live in Venice are, you know, kind of having this moral dilemma of what to do, because they they know that they're supposed to have compassion for these people, but, you know, their homes are being broken into, tents are popping up on the sidewalks, and their home values are, are declining because of this. So, you know, fortunately, we're not as bad as San Francisco at this point, but um, continuing the same failed policies at the uh, at the state level here and at the local Level here, and then Ted is trying to take those to the federal level. Um, we're going to be in a world of hurt if, uh, if we continue down that path. So,
2: what are some
1: of the things that if you manage to beat this incumbent, which I mean, I'm obviously rooting for you, as I think the uh, audience is as well here. What are some of the things, though, that you would want to try to a- accomplish for the people of California? I mean, how do you, you know, here's what I see in California you've got a huge population of illegal aliens who have now changed the political realities of that state in a lot of ways. You also have just liberal, uh, a very left-wing approach to governance that is is failing. And these things can take time, right? It's not that overnight all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, human waste all over the streets and tent cities and people feeling like their neighborhoods, their property values are dropping. But once it starts to happen, it can be tough to turn it around, too. What would you want to do? I mean, you know, how how could you make uh, California's 33rd a model of what could be done if the libs weren't so crazy?
3: you know really what i want to do is i want to give more freedom back to i know this kind of might sound crazy because of the direction we're headed but i really want to give more freedom back to california and back to the local government and back you know to the 33rd district um you know the policies we've tried here in california it's just spend more money spend more money and spend more money um and don't actually solve the problem it is just putting a band-aid on it and hiring more outreach workers, you know, building more low-income housing. I mean, there's there's a recent thing where they're spending $700,000 on per unit um, in a structure here in the Valley, and then they're trying to do one three blocks from the beach in Venice. And, you know, that is a problem. It's We're just spending money, but we're not actually wanting to solve the issue. And that's my whole plan is to bring all, you know, we don't need to be sending our – our hard-earned tax dollars here in California to, to Washington, we can keep that money here, and, you know, we can hold our local politicians feet to the fire about really addressing the, uh, the issues that affect us here in California.
1: And how's the state doing on a, on a budgetary basis?
3: So on a budgetary basis, you know, we had record tax revenues this year. I believe it was uh, a little over $210 billion in uh, tax revenues. But my guess is that that's gonna that's gonna take a major hit next year um, because this was the first year that that the salt cap was at 10,000 under uh, Trump's new tax bill and uh, I think a lot of Californians realized what it was to uh, to not be able to write off their 13.3 percent state income tax rate and their property taxes against their federal taxes and you know I think that sticker shock hurt a lot of people and a lot of those people are the the people who have the means to pick up and move to to Arizona, to Texas, to to Tennessee, to Nevada, to uh, to get that tax relief. And I think you know we're going to have quite a few of those people leaving. And it only takes you know five six thousand of those people to to leave to make a major dent in our tax revenue.
1: We're speaking to Brandon Fricky. He is running against Ted Lieu for California's thirty third congressional district. Uh, he just announced, I think, the last week or so. Brandon, uh, why are you running as an independent?
3: So I've, I've always been an independent, um, you know, I've, I've valued the the policies and really valued freedom. And, you know, I think a lot of the problems that we have here in California and in a larger case um, across the nation is it's too much partisan politics. You know, you, you have to play for, for the red team or the blue team and, you know, life Life isn't really that way. There, there is a lot of areas where we can compromise. And for me, it's really about putting freedom, freedom first. And, and, you know, while I, while I don't really agree with any of the uh, Democrat policies, there's areas where I don't agree with the Republicans too. Um, The major of it being the spending bill. You know, I, I was kind of disappointed to see that, that Trump and the Republicans tacked on an extra $2 Two bill, or two trillion dollars um, in the latest spending bill, and that's you know something as a fiscal conservative, you know, we shouldn't be be pushing forward as a country.
1: And uh, I'm just wondering, have you gotten any feedback yet from the, the the Lou camp? You know, or are you already ruffling some feathers? And clearly, you've, you've got a lot of friends uh, in in the uh, world of, of media, and you know, you're going to be formidable against Ted. So, what is he? Th- what are they thinking?
3: Yeah, I don't you know, I think he's uh he's obviously going to try and uh, try and avoid me. That's, you know, how uh incumbent politics work. Um you just act like there there isn't a challenger and you're the only um game in town, but um we're really going to make this m- make this a hard-fought race and we're going to make him pay attention and How does it work know, with the primary gonna,
1: system by the way? How how does that go?
3: So it's a top 2, it's a jungle primary, so regardless of party, it's the top 2 vote getters move on to the general. So that's why I really have the ability to to run as an independent here in California and really make some noise um, to get through to that general election and have it be myself versus Ted. All
1: right, November man. Well, br- Brandon, Brandon Fricky, everybody to all of our uh, K E I B folks in the Los Angeles area. Uh, check out Brandon. Brandon. Do you have a, a site up for your congressional run?
3: Yeah, brandonfricky and that's F R I C K E.
1: Check it out, folks. He's going he's gonna to take out Ted Lou if you let him. He's going to uh, beat him in the election. So give him the help you can. And uh, Brandon, thanks so much for making the time for us. Good luck. Come back and let us know how it's going.
3: All right. Thanks, Buck.
1: Man, going after Ted Lieu. Uh, maybe I got to run for office. What do you think, Producer Mark? Where should I? I can't run in New York, though, unless I move to Staten Island. Why can't you run in New York? Because I'll never win anything in New York. That's a good point. Go to New Jersey. I love I love America and freedom and capitalism too much. You'd win
5: in upstate New York.
1: I know. I can own a gun up there, too. It'd be fun. Gun-toting buck. We'll be right back. What
4: does it say that Fox News is nicer to me than the lefties are? I'm sorry? What does it say that the conservatives are nicer to me? It's
5: a bizarre world, man.
4: It's such a bizarre world. You know, I'm such a lefty. I mean, I'm a serious lefty. But there's so, I understand why people on the right call them godless. I mean, it's like, I didn't think the left was as mean as the right. They are.
1: No, in fact, the left is much meaner than the right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not their as mean. They are meaner. They are more mean. That is reality. That is the truth. They're very, very mean. And we should all understand that. We should all be clear about that. Um, the left doesn't feel any compunction, doesn't have any sense of maybe we should just chill a little bit in the era of Trump when it comes to any ideological enemy, including from their own side which is what Marianne Williamson, I mean, darling, girlfriend, we have to absolutely just hold all the magic crystals up in the air, have them absorb as much light as possible, and then the light from within shall shine through. I don't know, something like that. Uh, she's you know, she's a nice lady. She's obviously not going to be president, and she's a little crazy and doesn't really know much about very much uh, in the politics world, but I, I think that her... I do think that she's uh, surprised here in earnest. I do think that she is surprised to find out that the lefties are so mean because she's probably gone through her entire adult life surrounded with people on the left who all know exactly in social settings and the rest, they know exactly what they are supposed to say. They know what they're supposed to do. And all of a sudden, she's on the wrong side of that. She's considered... Somebody who maybe is, is getting in the way or is a distraction from the more serious candidates, although there's a lot of candidates that I think we could all agree are not in the least bit serious, that are Democrats that are still in the action here. So this is, this is a thing that I also see with uh, liberals that I just know in personal life. They really do believe, they really think that they are um, the nicer people. They're the better people. And I just always have to point out to them that that's just not true Uh, that there are leftists who are so intolerant of ideas and and it's become commonplace on the left to be very very intolerant of ideas and that's why I I think you can get ready for what will be an escalation of the crazy that really hit a peak into about uh, the second the second year of Trump's presidency we're in the third now the second year was when you had that um series of of people being chased from the administration chased in restaurants chased in public harassed you know uh told that they weren't welcome in certain establishments anymore antifa or whatever they were waiting outside of tucker carlson's house you're going to have a return of all of that and the left will not repudiate it you know i know plenty of conservatives who the moment anyone anybody who says they are on the right or who is Honestly, a part of the right steps out of line they 'll say, "Well, those people are hurting our cause and they're idiots, and they shouldn't do that when leftists get way out of line or really mean, they tend to be quiet about it or even perhaps find a way to try to uh, mitigate it a little bit, try to try to change their change the perception of the group, seem like it's not quite as bad as it would otherwise be. but you know that was Marianne Williamson who just said on an open mic there you know that the left is is really quite mean, and I think that that's Something that more people need to learn. More people need to understand that basic truth because they're drawn to the branding of the left. The branding of the left, if it's for it's for the smart, nice, you know, progressive, even this idea of being progressive, if they knew the history of progressives from the earliest stages in America, I think they'd, well, they wouldn't change their minds necessarily, but it, it's quite different from just, oh, I'm, I, I'm a progressive became a term for the culturally hip. You know, you're trying to, Make progress happen. You're trying to move things forward. Um, Marianne Williamson is figuring out, oh, they're actually ideological radicals who don't think for themselves and who have been largely brainwashed into believing that it's not that the other side is wrong, it's that the other side, meaning our side, conservatism, is evil. And that's a bit of a shock for her. So just remember the people who are in the news media conservatives are way nicer than the libs that i can tell you having spent a lot of time with both sides roll call's up next
0: the show ain't over yet folks it's
1: time for roll call i have some exciting news for you team it only took well technically a few years but we really only drilled down on this in the last couple weeks producer mark made the magic happen and so I want, to, I want to let him announce it. What is our new for roll call purposes slash general show write-ins? We have an official email address for the show now. What is it, Producer Mark? It is teambuck at iheartmedia.com. Team buck at iheartmedia.com. My friends, could there be a better email address? Could there be an email address more fitting of Team Bucks usage for roll call and generally calling me out when I need to be called out purposes? I think not. Bruce and Mark, did you take us? Did you take a slight bow? I can't tell because you're behind a bunch of machines over there. I did. You should. You should take a little bow. Well done. I did. Yeah. I, 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 saw, I saw. I know. I saw your hat tipping there. Is that a Rangers
5: hat? Yes. Hockey, huh? I'm a big hockey fan. We've gone over this.
1: Yeah, I know, but. Gonna to, we're going to have to go to one of these hockey games. What, or... What's wrong
5: with hockey? I mean, it's a sport that requires fighting to make it interesting. No, that's not actually not true. In the last 10 years or so, fighting's gone way down. They barely fight anymore. Interesting. Have you ever been to a hockey game? I have. And you're not in love?
1: I will say it's a better product... In person than on TV, in my opinion. That a lot of go- people say that. Going to the game is more fun than watching it on TV. With
5: high-def TV, though, it's gotten much better to watch on yeah. TV. I
1: mean, it used to just be a bunch of dudes doing ice skating laps with sticks in their hands. That's no. all you could see on TV. So. Not that anymore. Not that? All it's right. It's great. All right. Well, we have all the things. Uh, we have teambuck at iheartmedia.com. Get excited about it. So now those of you who don't have Facebook, don't want to use Facebook, we will get all of your emails... I know it's we are entering the 21st century, or really entering the uh late 19th century. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, 21st century, entering the late 20th century, not the <laughs> late 19th century. You got a horse and buggy coming your way any moment now. Uh so yeah, let's let's do it, my friends. Let's get it uh get it crack a lacking. Uh we have we don't yet have any emails to work with, but I'm hoping we do, because you're all going to send me the things at TeamBuck at iHeart. By the way, you spell out heart, right? So it's I, like... Well, it's not heart
5: emoji, Buck.
1: I don't want anyone to get confused. I'm, you know, I like emojis.
5: That'd be funny if you could put it in that, in the email address, but I don't think that's possible yet.
1: Yeah. It's not like iHeartNewYork. It's iHeart, write it out, media.com. All right. John, right? Shields high. Real news fan. I think you said you'd like to move to Austin. Sure, if you want to be surrounded by liberal snowflakes and stuck in traffic every day. You want to live outside of, Lake, uh, outside of Austin near Lake Travis and the surrounding hill country and rivers. Also, you want to be able to get to visit Dallas and San Antonio, but similarly, you don't want to live there. Spoken as a born and raised Texan. Well, John, I'll take your word for it. I'm not going anywhere right now. Um, but I am, uh, yeah, not going anywhere right now. So Austin will have to wait. KLBJ folks. Don't pick out my house just yet. It's going to be a little bit longer. Taylor Buck. It's amazing how a guy married to someone who's half Hispanic and who is adopting two half African-American girls is so racist I love everybody. We aren't backing down Antifa. Utah supports Betsy Ross. Thanks, Nine Line Apparel, for this T-shirt. Oh, I see. The gentleman sent me, uh, Taylor sent me a photo of him waving a a Betsy Ross flag, and Taylor, it turns out, is married to someone who's half Hispanic and is himself adopting two um, half African-American girls. So, Taylor, lovely photo. God bless and good luck with the family. And thank you so much for uh, writing in. Hmm. John. Hold on, John. Congrats to producer Mark getting married in November 1130. I'm getting married on 1129. I'm also working on getting back in shape before the wedding. Great show as usual. Keep them coming. Shields high from Central Texas. Hmm. Very nice. Very nice. Weddings very close to each other.
5: Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one trying to lose some some fat well, before just, the wedding. I was just
1: talking about your wedding dates, but oh well, you know, that too. I, as soon as I am in a rhythm and we're in a daily schedule, I'm going to start going to the gym five days a week. I'm going I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. Um, this That's is what I, I said forget what too. they call this. I don't know if it's called social anchoring or something. But when you tell everybody you're going to do something, it is in fact the case that you are more likely to do it. The chances of you doing it go up. So, Tim, right? Also adding my two cents on shows you should watch. X-Files was the best show on network TV. It still holds up today. A kind of follow-up to that show was called Fringe, another excellent network show. Uh, Justified was awesome. More recently, Yellowstone on Paramount Network and The Sun sun on A&E is really good. Each has a couple of seasons you could binge watch. Kevin Costner is in Yellowstone and Pierce Brosnan is in The Sun. Both good actors, in my humble but constitutionally protected opinion. Shields high. Uh, well, Tim, thank you for all those wrecks. Um, I am hoping that I will be uh, able to check some of them out. I think that the guy Joshua Jackson is in Fringe. And I will tell you that when I was in high school, people used to say that I looked like Joshua, Joshua Jackson. Who is, in fact, best known, I think, to this day for playing Pacey on Dawson's Creek, a show that all the guys across the country listening to this are like, I have no idea what that is, and all the girls are like, Dawson was dreamy. If the ladies listening are probably under forty, I think, would be watching Dawson's
5: Creek age range roughly at this point. Did he also was he also on the Mighty Ducks? Because that name sounds very familiar. Joshua Jackson. Yeah, I don't. May- he might have been Conway. Maybe
1: possible i mean he was a handsome fellow of course so who knows uh let's see here um brian sent me a link thank you brian terrence hey buck i've noticed you stopped taking calls on air i enjoy your show immensely but to be honest i enjoy hearing callers more than just hearing roll calls hoping you address address this decision and the thought process that led to it looking forward to the new content you've been teasing Shields high. Terrence, I I would uh, I'd love to take callers. The the issue that we have is that in a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of our markets, we are delayed by even an hour or so. And that then throws off when people are hearing the show and and the the live call ins are not as representative of the overall audience as they uh, as I would like them to be because people can't listen if they're listening on a terrestrial station live in a lot of places. Um, when we move the show up and do it digitally, is there a chance that maybe we can do some, maybe a weekly, like, half-hour call-in session and then play it and, you know, do stuff like that? Yes, uh, we are looking. We, hey, we just got an email address, so we are making the magic happen here. I will also tell you that I, I would say for every email we have received, for every comment we have received saying that... uh they don't like uh or rather that, that they want more calls, we receive four that say please don't take calls. So I don't know if if that's just a thing between different parts of the audience, if this is now the sharks and jets of Team Buck and they're going after each other. Some people like calls, some don't, but we tend to hear more uh that people want guests and they like uh emails and Facebook messages to be a part of the show, but less so with calls. Because, you know, people get nervous and I understand it, but you know, back in the day on the Blaze Radio, we had a lot of, of regular callers. Uh, they were fantastic. So let me, I'll give it some thought. I will think about it. Michael writes in, Hans, Booby. Very nice Die Hard reference. I'm your white knight. I'm going to give him to you. Remember that? That was uh, Ellis. I negotiate million dollar deals for breakfast. I think I can handle this Euro trash. It's good times. Rail uh, sent me something funny. Let's see what else we have. Whoops, team. Oh, by the way, since I have your attention, or hopefully I have your attention, let me say to you that uh, I would very much like you to come. If you are in the New York City area, it would be utterly fantastic. Utterly fantastic if we could get you to come next week, a week from today, actually. So it will be this coming Thursday, September 19th, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. I am giving a speech along with uh, Chadwick Moore at the Women's National Republican Club, which is at 3 West 51st Street. Tickets are $10 at the door. I'm sorry, $15. Pardon me. $15 at the door, and a cash bar will be available. But this is really just a chance to hang out with a lot of Team Buck, see some other fellow conservatives here in New York. So if you're in the New York City area, please, please do come out. It's this Thursday, September 19th, 7 p.m., Women's National Republican Club at 3 West 51st Street, and the second floor Grand Ballroom is where you will find the event. So just the Women's National Republican Club is the place you're going to. I hope... You can all come and check it out and do that stuff, and it'll be fun. Um, please, please do try to make the appearance if you can, because I think it is going to be fantastic. All right. Let's see. What do we go back to now? Um, hmm. uh, we, were, we were doing roll call. I know that. Uh, we now, I think, have to get back into the swing of roll call plus emails. Which I'm looking forward to, actually. I-, I want you to send me those emails as well, so we'll do that. Hold on, it's loading. There we go, Dennis. All right, Buck. Heard you're looking at alternate TV options other than cable. Try JetstreamLivetv.com. It's only twenty-four dollars a month. That's all the national news stations, plus uh, AON, The Blaze, and Fox News. Shields high, Dennis. Yeah, man, Dennis. Maybe I will give that a go. Because uh, my cable package, is just it's just too expensive. It's just not worth the money that I pay. And that's frustrating. Uh-huh. Adam writes, Buck, I've used an internal contact in your Verizon I- uh, issue. I hope I got the ball rolling. Hopefully you'll receive some good news soon. Well, Adam, thank you. Um, the Verizon issue has been fixed, so I, I guess we should just give you credit for it. Maybe you fixed it. Maybe you are the reason that this has been fixed. So there is that Uh, william writes here's the thing about e-cigs they are not just water vapor it's an oily water-based liquid the flavors added to it are what make it potentially dangerous also it's the cool thing to set up the vape to create huge amounts of vapor which can't be much better than natural-based tobacco with that said i was against banning smoking and i'm against banning uh vape shields high william uh well william Thanks for sharing the expertise, team. That is going to be it today in the Freedom Hut. We will be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Shields high!